Well, good morning, Green Pines. How are you today? It is so good to be with you. Take your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, as you're turning, I just want to say it's just a joy for Charlene and I to be with you this morning. Uh, we do know Mike Griffin. I met Mike when he was a student at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, that takes us back to the days of Roman chariots and uh, the abacus was used in math classes in those days. I got to know Mike and respect Mike in those days. We had a chance to work together at the Baptist State Convention for a season. Uh, you know now that he's teaching missions with such passion at Palm Beach Atlantic University. I had a chance to speak to Mike about two weeks ago. Uh, they've gotten settled. Uh, he would want you to know the family's finally purchased a home and kind of settled in a little bit. Uh, and so it was just good to talk to Mike and to hear from Mike for just a little while. It's also good to be here because I love and respect your pastor. Uh, you know, you allowed Jared so graciously to serve on the executive committee of the Baptist State Convention, our board of directors. Whenever you put 100 preachers in the room, it doesn't take very long for the, the cream to rise to the top. And I want you to know that your pastor is a leader among pastors in North Carolina. Uh, when he speaks, he speaks with great wisdom. Uh, when he speaks, he speaks based upon the principles of God's holy word. And I just have grown to love and respect your pastor. Now, we've been trying to work out an opportunity for me to come and worship with you uh, on a Sunday for quite some time now. But every time Jared would be out of the country, I would be traveling or already have a commitment. And so I was just thrilled when the email came. I was in Southeast Asia, got an email from your pastor that said, hey, I'm going to be... Uh, on a mission trip, can you come and fill in for me at uh, Green Pines? And man, I was just excited that we have the chance to do that today, to worship together, to study God's Word together. We're going to be studying from Acts chapter 16, but before we turn to God's Word, I want to ask you a question. Where is the most significant place you have ever been? Now think back in your mind, all the places you've ever traveled to, for whatever reason, what's the most significant place you've ever attended, the most significant place you've ever traveled to. Sometimes when I ask that question, a young couple uh, will take me back in their minds to a, a wedding altar where they uh, looked into one another's eyes and exchanged their vows before that congregation, before the Lord, and they will say, that wedding altar is the most significant place I've ever been in all of my life. Sometimes I ask that question, and, and they'll take me back to a baptistry in a church or perhaps a, a, a creek and a mountain stream, and, and they'll begin to share with me how they're in that baptistry as they followed their Lord obediently in believer's baptism. That was the most significant place they've ever been. Sometimes they'll take me back and they'll describe the delivery room where that first son or daughter was born into the world and they transitioned in life from a couple to parents and began to experience all of the life change that a young, innocent, helpless child brings into your life and world, and they speak about a delivery room as the most significant place they've ever been. Once in a while, I'll ask that question to a senior adult, and they'll take me across town in their mind to a cemetery where they've laid to rest their mate for over 50-plus years. And they'll talk about how that day when they said goodbye to the one they loved so much that that was the most significant place they've ever been in all of their lives. Today, I want you to travel with me to a significant place. It's a place called Troas in Scripture. 
But Troas represents a place this morning, ladies and gentlemen, where God speaks into the life of a believer, changes the direction of that believer's life, and does it all for His honor and glory. And I challenge you this morning to consider with me that if we will travel to that place where God can speak into our heart, change the direction of our life, and do that all for His honor and glory, that will become the most significant place we've ever traveled to. So travel with me this morning in Scripture to a place called Troas. Let's begin reading Acts chapter 16, and I'll start with verse 4. Acts chapter 16 and verse 4. Now, while they were passing through the cities, to understand this passage of Scripture, we need to stop and make sure we realize who the pronoun they has reference to. When you get home this afternoon, take your copy of God's Word, sit down in your recliner or on the couch, and begin to read Acts chapter 15. And what you'll discover as you come to the end of Acts chapter 15 is that Paul and Silas are about to begin what is known as Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, Paul wants to go back to the places he's traveled to before. He wants to check on those that he's led to faith in Christ. He wants to check on those new congregations that have been birthed into existence. And Paul and Silas are about to begin the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. When you get to Acts chapter 16, verse 1, Paul and Silas pick up a young man named Timothy to be the third person of their three-man missionary team. And so when we come to Acts chapter 16, verse 4, and the scripture says, now while they were passing through the cities, the pronoun they has reference to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now that's an important point. Tuck that back. We're going to need to recall it in just a few moments. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Wow, isn't that the desire of every New Testament church? It should be the desire of every 21st century church, amen? That each and every day we are strengthened in our faith and we grow according to the providence and sovereignty of God. That's what I hope happens this coming Saturday as you gather together for that community outreach. I pray that Saturday will be a day in which this family of faith not only gains in their spiritual strength, but God adds to this church family by those who step into the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, let's see what happens in verse 6. They pass through the Phrygian and Galatian region. Now listen to this having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. What an interesting phrase in Scripture. Scripture seems to indicate this three-man missionary team, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They're headed to Asia. They're going to Asia, and we know from Paul's heart, as they travel to Asia, they're going to be proclaiming the life-transforming message of Jesus. We know from examining Paul's life that everywhere he went, he engaged in personal evangelism. He engaged in telling personally the story, the life-transforming message of Jesus, of how Jesus died on Calvary's cross for the sin of the world. That he died there, the sinless Son of God, the Lamb without blemish, and when he shed his blood on the cross, he shed his blood as an atonement for our sins. 
when he travels throughout Asia, he's going to tell the story of how they laid the dead body of Jesus in a borrowed tomb, but on that first Easter morn, on the third day, the stone was rolled away, and as they peered inside, the body of Jesus was gone because he had had victory over death in the grave. Paul is going to share that story. He's going to share it personally, one-on-one. He's going to share it by proclamation as he preaches and teaches. He's going to Asia to not only share the message of Christ, that life-changing message, but to gather those who believe into New Testament congregations and to birth new churches into existence. But the Bible says, as he's on his way to Asia to share that life-transforming message of Jesus, Look back at the text yourself, verse 6. He passed by having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Paul's traveling. It seems that the Holy Spirit somehow communicates to the Apostle Paul, Paul, you're not to go to Asia. I I know the desires of your heart to go to Asia to share that life-transforming gospel message, but you're not to go to Asia. So let's see what happens. Come with me, verse 7. And after they came to Mysia... They were trying to go down to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Paul says, okay, if I can't go to Asia, come on, guys, we'll go down to Bithynia. And so he adjusts his directions. He changes course. Silas and Timothy and Paul begin to head toward Bithynia. They're going, again, to share the life-transforming message of Jesus. Their desire is proper. Their goal is correct. They want to see people come to faith in Christ, new churches be planted in this place called Bithynia. But the Bible says that the Spirit of Jesus prevented them. Ladies and gentlemen, at this point, Paul has to be scratching his head. Lord, you've commanded me to proclaim the gospel. I want to go to Asia, but you say, no, you've commanded me to proclaim the gospel, so I want to go to Bithynia. But now the Spirit of Jesus says, no. What's happening in this passage of Scripture? Paul is traveling one direction in his life with the best of intentions, the best of desires, the best of purposes, but he's traveling in the direction God does not want him to go. He doesn't want him to go to Asia. He doesn't want him to go to Bithynia because he wants to bring Paul down to a city called Troas because, ladies and gentlemen, it's in Troas that God is about to speak into Paul's life, change the direction of Paul's life, and do it all for his honor and glory. Now listen to me. Sometimes in life as individuals, God changes the direction of our life. Amen? He does it when we get married. He does it when we accept children into our home as we become parents. He changes our life in a lot of different ways. Sometimes he changes the direction of churches, amen? Sometimes churches are headed in one direction with the best of in purpose, the best of desire, the best of intentions, but God says to that congregation, stop, not another step further. I want you to change and pivot your direction, and I want you to come to a place called Troas. Because I want to speak into your life. I want to change the direction of your life forever, and I want to do it all for my honor and glory. Now, it's okay if God speaks into our life, isn't it? It's okay if He changes the direction of our lives, isn't it? Especially if He does it all for His honor and glory. Well, let's see how He does that in this text. Come back with me. Verse 8. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Paul is finally where God wants him to be. 
Now, verse 9, Paul begins to speak. Excuse me, God begins to speak into Paul's life. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes when we read those phrases in Scripture, a vision appeared to Paul in the night, we, we Baptists get a little leery, we get a little skeptical of what we're reading. But if you're a student of the Bible, you know that oftentimes in Scripture, God speaks in visions. He, he spoke in visions in the Old Testament. He spoke in visions in the New Testament. And he's about to speak into Paul's life, and he's about to speak through a vision. Let's take a look at this vision. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him. The word appealing there means to beg, and it's written in such a way that it means to beg and beg and beg and beg and beg. Now let's see what this man is begging Paul to do. Remember, it's not a Macedonian who's speaking to Paul. It is God speaking to Paul through the Macedonian. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and begging him, saying, Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. God is speaking to Paul's life. The Macedonian says to Paul, Paul, I beg you, come over and help us. Paul, I beg you, come over and help us. Paul, I beg you, whatever you do, come over and help us. Now, those two words, help us, are interesting words in the language of the New Testament. Listen, they can literally be translated, run to the cry. Run to the cry. So here's what's happening. God has Paul finally in Troas. He's speaking into Paul's life. He's speaking by way of this vision of a man of Macedonia who is begging Paul, Paul, run to the cry. Paul, run to the cry. Paul, I beg you, whatever you do, Paul, run to the cry. Do you hear the urgency in this passage of Scripture? My wife helped me to understand this kind of urgency when, when our son was about five years of age. When our son, who's now about to be 28 years of age and is a, a father himself, when he was five years of age, he played the greatest sport man has ever created, the sport of t-ball. Do you know t-ball? T-ball is that sport where the batter hits the ball and runs to third base and everybody's okay with that. And when he gets to third base, there's a big smile on his face because he's finally safe and the next batter comes up and he or she hits the ball and, and the guy on third base runs to the pitcher's circle and everybody's just cheering. And then if a plane goes by, the entire game stops. As all the kids kind of watch the plane go. T-ball's a great game. Well, Chip was about five. He was beginning to play T-ball. And, and of course, as his father, I, I had a responsibility. It was my responsibility to teach Chip how to throw a baseball and how to catch a baseball. Every father in this room knows the, the heritage that we pass on in baseball to our sons. So I had Chip out into the front yard, and I was going to teach him how to throw and catch a baseball. I gave him my softball glove. It was a glove way too big, but I knew it was large enough. There was no way I could miss his glove when I threw the ball to him to build him some confidence. And so Chip's wearing my big softball glove on his hand, and, and I back up a few feet, and, and I soft toss the ball to Chip, and Sure enough, it rang his glove, and, and he looked. He was amazed that he had caught the ball, and, and he kind of smiled, and he threw the ball back to me, and, and I stepped up, just backed up just a few feet, and I soft-tossed it again, and it rung his glove the second time. Now Chip's getting a little cocky 
Chip's caught two in a row, so he starts doing what he's seen the major leaguers do on TV. He starts spitting on the ground, and he's kicking his cleats, getting the dirt off. You know, he, he thinks he's a major leaguer. Well, I back up a third time, and I soft toss it, and sure enough, he catches it the third time, and now I'm getting kind of cocky. I'm, I'm thinking, if I can teach this kid to pitch left-handed, here's my retirement fund right here for me. And then I did something I shouldn't have done. Have you ever done something that as soon as you did it, you thought, hmm, bad decision? I backed up all the way across the front yard. Charlene seated on the front steps of the house. Our daughters played in the flower bed. I backed up all the way across the yard, and I threw that baseball. I mean, he had caught three in a row. I threw it as high and as hard as I possibly could. Now, men, you would have been proud of Chip. I was. He, he did exactly what I taught him. He got his glove up. He settled in under the ball. He's tracking it. He's got his glove up. The ball comes and skims the top of his glove and hits him right on his nose. How many moms are here today? Mom, do you know the difference between that cry that says, my sister's playing with my stuff and that irritates me, and the cry that says, I'm hurt, I'm bleeding, and I need my mama. You know the difference between those two cries? Guys don't know that. We don't recognize that, but mothers do. Chip let out that second scream. That, that ball hit him on the nose. Within a split second, there's blood just pouring down the front of his face. He lets out that scream, I'm hurt, I'm bleeding, I need my mama. And then I watched something I'd never seen before. My wife jumped from the front steps of the house, raced across the front yard. There was a blue streak. The grass was on fire as she ran across the road. By the time I got to Chip, Charlene was already there, had Chip's uh, head on her shoulder, and she was saying some awful, ugly things about his father. (laughs) But she had run to the cry. She had heard her son scream out in pain and nothing was going to keep her from getting to her son. And she was going to get to her son as fast as she possibly could. No dilly-dallying around. No slow-paced walk. She had heard the cry and she ran to the cry. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the picture that's being painted in this passage of Scripture. God is speaking to the Apostle Paul through this Macedonian. And this Macedonian is saying to Paul, Paul, run to the cry. Paul, run to the cry. Paul, we are hurting. We are in pain. Paul, we need you, Paul, to run to the cry. And Paul ran to the cry. Look at his response. Come back with me to this text. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, over to Macedon- come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. We're going to unpack all of that in a moment, but look at verse 7. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. Paul says, when I understood that I was being called to run to the cry, I immediately put out to sea. I immediately ran a straight course. Paul said, I ran to the cry. Now listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. 
this morning if Green Pines Baptist Church will tune her spiritual ears to the world around us, we will discover that there are thousands, millions, perhaps billions of people on planet Earth that are saying to the Christian church, run to the cry. Run to the cry. We're hurting, we're in pain spiritually. We need you to run to the cry. You know the answer to our pain. You know the answer to the problems that we face spiritually in our life. And we need you, Christian, to run to the cry. Did you know right now that the IMB tells us, the International Mission Board tells us, there are about 6 billion people on planet Earth who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 6 Billion with a B. IMB also tells us that about 1.7 billion of those people, listen, please don't miss this, live among a people group who have never even heard the name of Jesus. Their grandparents never heard the name of Jesus. Their parents never heard the name of Jesus. And those people who are alive today will be born and live and die and never hear the name of Jesus unless the church of the Lord Jesus Christ starts running to the cry. 1.7 billion people. Let's come a little closer to home. The North American Mission Board tells us that in North America, Canada, and the United States, there are about 259 million people who do not know Jesus as their Savior. In North Carolina, we know that there are about 5.8 million people who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. About one out of every two people you will see today has no relationship with Christ. You travel to the grocery store this afternoon, one out of two people you see statistically do not know Christ, you drive on to your cul-de-sac or into your neighborhood, 1.2, excuse me, one out of every two people living behind those doors, your neighbors, you know their names, you know their children, but they don't know Jesus. One out of two. Let's bring it a little closer to home. Let's just talk about Raleigh. We've been conducting a research project this past year at the Baptist State Convention trying to determine non-English speaking pockets of people living in Raleigh, Greensboro, and Charlotte who need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we've done, ladies and gentlemen. In this past year's research, we have identified, listen, 139 different people groups. 139 different pockets of people who speak a language other than English, who have a worldview other than that of Christianity, who follow a religion other than the one that will provide salvation for them. 139 different pockets of people. Somebody needs to run to the cry. We need congregations like Green Pines who are willing to say, we will go to India and Nepal and Haiti, but we also will claim one of these people groups right here in the Raleigh Metroplex. God can count on us to do whatever it takes to run to the cry so that those people living here in Raleigh can hear the name of Jesus. We'll go. Well, let's come back and unpack Paul's response quickly. Come back with me to verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, begging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Paul, run to the cry. 
verse 10, when he, speaking of Paul, when he had seen the vision, it's very clear in the text that the vision only comes to the Apostle Paul. Silas doesn't see the vision. Timothy doesn't see the vision. The vision comes to Paul. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. Oh, a very important pronoun. Paul receives the vision from God, yes, but it seems in the text that Paul begins to share that vision. He begins to tell it to Silas and tell it to Timothy. But there's this pronoun, we. Plural, possessive. What happens in this text, ladies and gentlemen? From the text, we understand that Dr. Luke, the human writer of the book of Acts, when he hears this vision, he says to Paul, Hey, can I be a part of that? Can I be a part of that? The vision comes to Paul. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are on this missionary journey, but when Paul shares the vision, the pronoun changes to we. Luke says, ooh, ooh, Paul! God wants you to go to Macedonia and share the life-transforming message of Jesus. Can I be a part of that? Now listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. That's where all of us this morning step into this text. We have heard today from God's holy word that God wants us to race to the cry of spiritually hurting people with the life-transforming message of the cross and the life-transforming message of the empty tomb. He desires for us to race to the cry, so we have to decide if, like Luke, we want to be a part of that. Or is that the job of the preacher? Is that the job of the state convention? Is that the job of one of our mission boards? Is that the job of some other believer? Ladies and gentlemen, this text indicates that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's your job to run to the cry. And every one of us here this morning should lift our hands like Luke and say, can I be a part of carrying the gospel to people who desperately need to hear about Jesus. Well, let's see what else happens. Come with me quickly as we move toward the conclusion of this Bible study. When he, Paul, had seen the vision, immediately we, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and now Luke, sought to go into Macedonia, listen to this, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul said, we came to the conclusion, Luke records, we came to the conclusion, not that God wanted us to go over and build a Habitat for Humanity house. Not that God wanted us to go and to open a food bank or a clothing bank. Luke says, we concluded that God called us not to engage in social ministry, but God called us, what church? To preach the gospel to them. You see, the pain that we're talking about in this vision, the heartache that we're talking about in this vision, is spiritual in nature. It's not the pain of an injury. It's not the pain of hunger. It's not the pain of a lack of housing. It's a pain of not knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, Luke concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel. So they set out. The next morning they set out. They sail a straight course. Let's pick the story back up in verse 12 and see what happens. 
from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. Finally, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke arrive in Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we're, uh, we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening I love this next phrase. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Well, what did Paul speak? Well, flip back over. Let's remind ourselves of what we just saw in verse 10. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So when Paul finds Lydia and the other women, he begins to proclaim the life-changing message of Jesus. He begins to proclaim the gospel. He begins to talk about Jesus' sacrificial atoning death on the cross, Jesus' victory over death in the grave, and how if we will ask Jesus to forgive us of our sin, turn away from the sin in our life, and to live a life with Jesus as Lord and Master of life, we might have life everlasting. He began to communicate the gospel. And the scripture says, And the Lord opened the heart of Lydia. And then we finish with these words. Verse 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, Lydia and her household come to faith in Jesus. Why? Because Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke understood their responsibility to run to the cry. And when they understood that responsibility, they immediately obeyed. And Lydia and her house come to faith in Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, if you know anything about church history, what you know is that when Paul begins to share the gospel with Lydia, it is the very first time that the gospel is heard on the continent of Europe. It's the very first time this life-transforming message of Jesus has made its way to virgin soul where the gospel had never been proclaimed. And the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, you trace your spiritual heritage and I trace my spiritual heritage back to this very moment in human history. Because Paul... Silas, Timothy, and Luke ran to the cry with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. If you're here this morning on this Palm Sunday, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, this moment is for you. It is the message that changed Lydia's life. It is the message that changed the lives in her household. It is the message that will change your life today. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He bled and suffered and died as payment for your transgressions and mine. They buried him 
in a borrowed tomb, but he arose from the grave, alive and victorious. He is alive today, and he's waiting for you to invite him into your life as Lord, Master, and Savior.